Well, we come now to our introduction to systematic theology lessons. We've been looking at the major doctrines of our faith, and we are currently looking at the doctrine of the law of God. And as part of that, we've been looking at each of the Ten Commandments briefly. Today, we're looking at the Eighth Commandment. If you recall, last week, we looked at the Seventh Commandment, which was short and sweet, and that was, you shall not commit adultery. And so we looked at the word adultery and then made a few observations from there. Well, this week, with the Eighth Commandment, we have yet another short and sweet commandment, which is Exodus 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. And again, because this is just introductory material, I want to take the same approach. I just want to look at the wording of the commandment itself and what we can glean from it. Well, the one word here that we need to take a look at is the word steal. What does the word steal mean? Simply put, it means to take without the owner's consent. Now, there's nothing complicated there, right? We all know what that means. Even non-believers know what that means. Speaking of which, about two weeks ago, I was at work at the plant where we make sleep number beds after I'd made some deliveries. And I was talking to the plant manager and the guy second in charge. And he was asking if we had seen a little toolbox laying around. He couldn't find it. And after telling us that he'd been looking for it all morning, he went on to tell us that a few, few of the guys in the back where they have assembly line, where they make these sleep number beds, a couple of them have reported that some of their personal stuff has come up missing in the, in the break room. And there's probably around 15 of us at work but apparently we have a thief in our midst, at least one. And of course, the guys who reported it, they're pretty angry, and rightly so. In fact, one of them told the group at lunch that if he catches who did it, he's going to beat the mess out of them <laughs> on break. And my plant manager said, yeah, and we'll join them. Yes. Well, you know, it's interesting to me, because whenever I'm in those situations, I'm, I'm, all the time, thinking theologically, and it's just can't escape it. I got to think on the rest of that day. It's interesting that this commandment doesn't seem to be all that complicated. Even unbelievers get it. I mean, with the exception of me, the plant manager, and the second guy in charge, we're the only three that I know of that profess to be Christians. And yet even people who are sit there on the dock during lunch and argue with you, whether there is absolute morality or not, will completely change their tune when something comes missing in their lunchbox, even to the point where they will fight you over it. And then, to add to that, I've heard atheists argue that we don't even need God or the Bible for morality. In fact, one of the most common examples I hear a lot is, well, we don't need God or the Bible to tell us that it's wrong to steal. We know it's wrong. And so on the one hand, you see and hear things like that, and yet, on the other hand, there are clear cases of theft that are condoned by many of those same people, especially when the government is involved. Theft that many people actually will vote into law. You'll even find some believers who think that they are doing God's will by voting money out of one group's pocket in order to put it in the pockets of another group. And so it's kind of weird, isn't it? This thing that would seem so simple doesn't seem as simple as we might have thought, is it? There are times when most of us seem to get it, 
And then there are times when it's like, oh, wait, I guess we don't get it. Look, we just voted into law. There are times when people will talk about subjective morality, but then they'll get red hot when someone steals from them. And as I've pointed out, there are people who will argue that we don't even need God or the Bible to figure out that stealing is wrong. Well, is that true? Do we even need Exodus 20, verse 15? How can such a principle on the one hand seem so self-evident and clear, and yet on the other hand be completely ignored? And I don't think the word steal in and of itself is going to help us out too much with some of these issues. Because after all, the same guy who's red hot over someone stealing from him at work is the same guy who will vote theft into law, but he just won't call that stealing. So I think to get to the heart of this, and to address some of these issues, we need to think just a little bit deeper. So let's go back to our definition. Remember, we said to steal is to take without the owner's consent. Okay, but now I want you to notice something about this definition. This definition assumes something. Notice the word owners. Webster's defines an owner as the rightful proprietor, one who has the legal or rightful title, whether he is the possessor or not. Hmm, so now we're talking about legal rights. Okay, well, who or what determines those legal rights? And it would seem to me that if you can get to the bottom of that question, then you can begin to clear up some of these other issues. Well, that now leads me to an observation that I have made in the past regarding this commandment and particularly how it is expressed in our standards. But it's an observation that I don't think many people give much thought to, so it bears repeating. If you look at the shorter catechism regarding this commandment, you'll read the following. Question 74, what is required in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment required the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. And what is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment forbiddeth whatsoever doth or may unjustly hinder our own or our neighbor's wealth or outward estate. There are two words used here in these answers that ought to jump out to you and get you thinking, especially in light of the question that I had just asked about legal rights. And if you recall, these are the same two words that were used in the answers regarding the Sixth Commandment as well. And what are those two words? They're the words lawful and unjustly. If you look at how the divines answered what the Sixth Commandment requires and prohibits, thou shalt not kill, murder, and compare that to how they answer what the Eighth Commandment requires and prohibits, the language is almost identical. It's framed the same way. Regarding the Sixth, they say the Sixth Commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. And the Sixth Commandment forbiddeth the taking away of our own life and the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatsoever tendeth thereunto. The difference, of course, is that the Sixth Commandment deals with life, protection of life, while the Eighth Commandment deals with property, both of which we, especially in this country, treat as rights. And if you recall what we have said about the Sixth Commandment in life, we have noted that biblically speaking, there is no such thing as an absolute intrinsic right to life. The questions of how one is to preserve life and what is and is not acceptable in terms of taking life are all defined and determined by God 
who grants us life. That's what I mean when I say there's no intrinsic rights. We don't have these rights just because we exist, because we're here. Any rights that we have, we have because God grants us those rights. And so there are lawful endeavors to preserve life, and not all endeavors to preserve life are lawful. And there are unjust reasons for taking life, but not all taking of life is unjust. And that same template, that same wording is used by the divines when it comes to property rights. You can procure and further the wealth of yourself and others, but you can only do it lawfully. And you are forbidden to hinder your wealth in, in a state and that of others if that hindering is unjust. And so what are these two words, lawful and unjust, telling us? What are our Reformed and Puritan forefathers conveying to us by using these two words with these two commandments, one dealing with the right to life and the other dealing with the right to property? Well, I think they're telling us this, that the same presupposition that undergirds the sixth commandment in issues of life is the same presupposition that undergirds the eighth commandment in issues of property rights. And what is that presupposition? I think it's this, that God, not you, not the church, and definitely not the state, but that God is the sovereign ruler. And it is his word, his law, that takes priority over everything, including your needs and your wants. It is he who determines what is lawful and unjust. Not you, not the state, not whatever conveniences you or inconveniences you. It is God who sets the boundaries. If you go to the larger catechisms on both of these questions and they expand on what's allowed and what's not allowed, they give a list of things, of do's and don'ts. Where are they coming up with this list from? Just whatever conveniences us? No, it's coming from God's word. God has set the boundaries of this moral principle. And so a person cannot even begin to rightly understand theft and property rights if you take God and his law out of the picture. How could you? Because what determines what is theft or not? Is it just some arbitrary thing? Is it whatever the majority of people vote into law? Is it whatever the ruling party says it is? Is it just whatever inconveniences you? Does the fact that we have divorced God and his law word from this help explain while the same guy who will get red hot at work for having his personal stuff stolen will turn right around and vote theft into law at the booth? I think so. Is the commandment not to steal some sort of vague, self-evident, intrinsic right that all people have, and Moses just kind of merely adopted it, and God gave his stamp of approval on it? Or... Is the Eighth Commandment yet another expression of God's sovereign, absolute sovereignty over your, you and your life and all that you have? I believe it's the latter, my friends. And that's the main point I want you to see today. Psalm 50, starting in verse 10. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. 
Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. In Deuteronomy 10.14 we read, Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. And he owns all because he created all. Colossians 1.16-17 For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So you're getting the picture? Friends, the presupposition undergirding the Eighth Commandment is not some humanistic, absolute, and intrinsic right to property that we just sort of adopted. Rather, it is the presupposition that God is sovereign and that he owns everything, all of it, including all property on earth. And therefore, any ownership of property that any of us must have must be viewed as a stewardship from God. You are a housekeeper, friend. Ultimately, you don't own anything. You are a servant to whom God allocates to each according to their abilities. And one day, the owner and master of the house is going to return to call you to account for how you managed his property. And he's going to call you to account for how you treated property that he allocated to others to manage as well. We read of this stewardship being established there in the beginning, Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. Behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And then in chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And then in verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. This was the cultural mandate from the very beginning. And then we go on to read in the Gospels how God is going to call us to account with that mandate. Matthew verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 14. For it, that is the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. He who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. 
And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enjoy or enter the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. And he who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, said, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gathered where I I scattered no seed. There you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has, has will be taken away and cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing teeth. Therefore, Joe Warcraft can write, quote, God gives man property to manage according to his will and for his glory. Each human property owner is directly responsible to God for the lawful use of God's property delegated to him, end quote. And so any authority, any property rights that you and I have are not intrinsic, not absolute, but are limited, they're delegated, and covenantal in nature. And you simply will not have a right understanding of theft or property rights divorced from that presupposition. Again, I think this point needs to be emphasized today with conservatives just as much as with liberals. We've gotten so far away from this presupposition in all of our political speech and debate that our national elections have basically come down to us voting about which of the two major parties we think are going to steal from us the less. And then you get some third-party folks who will jump into the mix like libertarians arguing against both parties and say, well, any and all taxation is theft. Well, really, is that true? Not according to Scripture. Again, what is that based on? Personal convenience? Where is God in his law? In the conversation, is, does God institute theft by demanding a tithe? Tithe is just a tax. So either God is demanding us to steal from one another, or the libertarian doesn't understand what he's talking about. And so what do you think a party of fallen sinful creatures who have declared themselves sovereign and have ignored God and his law, what do you think that's going to lead to? The same tyranny and oppression Marxism does. Any system that ignores God, that ignores his sovereignty, that ignores his word, is incomplete and it's dangerous. And it's all going to lead to the same place no matter what label you want to slap on top of it. There are no such thing as some self-evident laws floating around in the ether that God discovered and thought were good ideas to adopt. Rather, any rights that we have, we have solely because God 
gives us those rights as revealed in his word. His word sets the boundaries and he will call us into account. That's the context. That's the foundation. And we will not rightfully understand theft and property rights apart from the sovereignty of God and the priority of his word. You strip stealing from that presupposition, and I think that's how you get all the confusion and mess that we see so much of today. So that's just the starting point. Like I said, this is introduction. Um, I thought that would be a good point to highlight. And so as you go on in your own studies and you think about the do's and don'ts of this commandment, that would be a good place to start from. And my time is up.